Hey everyone, welcome to Seated with Strangers. This season, we're exploring the topic of unsubscribing from pop culture and social norms. I'm Lauren White, and I am here with Sierra and Timothy. Hey y'all. Hey, hey. On today's show episode, we'll be talking all about unsubscribing from the culture of toxic relationship advice. Let's jump into it. Here's our our first question to kick off our dialogue for today. Why does it seem like the church is more focused on having classes for women, but excluding men when it comes to dating and marriage preparation? Let's talk about that. I know Mm -hmm. I led a women's ministry for quite some time, and we had conversations about preparing for marriage and remaining holy and remaining pure. But I don't ever recall hearing my male counterparts having this conversation at the bowling alley or at Top Golf. This didn't seem to be the topic of discussion. Why is it that it's more so geared to the women? I feel like Tim should answer because he looks nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Tim. Wow, wow, wow. I was looking forward to your answers. It's a good question because I can't say that I disagree with your observation. It's what I've seen. And I think maybe the simplest answer is because men, we could just say that they're really like the gatekeepers of, you know, what gets propagated as doctrine and as important in the life cycle of the body of Christ. uh, Because predominantly we have men as leaders, uh, male pastors, male apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. And that was the case for centuries. Mm -hmm. There were pockets here and there of female leadership. So I think that when we get to like our generation and this timeline, there's still very much that bent that's just saturated through the culture of church and the ethos of church. I'm not saying it's right, but it, it is what it is. Right. Oh, right. I, I, honestly, I agree with you. I was going to say the thing. I think it's because we live in a patriarchal society. Very good. Um, I was waiting for the P word. <laughs> yes, a patriarchal society. Patriarchy. In a lot of different systems, right? We see it, especially in America, we see it in our systems racially, right? Anytime a system is created to uphold a particular group, it relieves them from a level of responsibility that leaves the lesser group to carry, right? And I think we see the same thing with men and women. And I think if we want to look at it, since we're talking about church, if we want to look at it from a biblical lens, we could look at Ephesians 5. We love to talk about the scriptures that say, you know, women are the the lesser vessel, right? But we skip Ephesians 5, right? Or we don't like to read all of the verses. So we love to read the verse that says, women submit to your husband. Yes, we we love that, right? But right before that, the scripture says, men and women submit to each other. And then it says, women submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And then it says, men submit to your wife or love your wife the way that Christ did. He died for her. So women are to submit. The Bible literally says men are to die, right? And and when you look at it in context, he's basically saying the two of you submit to one another. But because we live in a patriarchal society, we look at the word and many other things through the lens of what upholds that particular society, which is why it's so important for us to read the word and understand it in context for ourselves and not through the lens or the filter of the society, the man-made society that we live in. 
That's very good. Do you think that it's possible to change the norm, to change what the normal set up for men and women, especially as we talk about in the church? Is it possible that in this generation, we can see a group of men rise up that says, you know what, before I get married, I want to be emotionally stable. Before I get married, teach me how to die daily. I know that the women are having uh, classes learning how to submit and learning, you know, to obey and uphold, we know, the standards. But I think that maybe this could be the generation that changes the narrative, especially now in a generation where men are more apt to talking about mental health. We've seen a change there. Maybe this could be the second wave. Maybe Timothy can usher it into the earth. The second wave of a man that says, you know what, let's prepare for marriage and even let's prepare for dating differently. Let's have some different discussions among the men. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there are inroads being made, particularly in our generation, because men are talking more about these things and also voicing their desire to you know, be married, to want to be a good husband and so on and so forth. Of course, because of the weight of what's behind it and where we are now, it's probably not as fast as maybe some of our sisters would like, but there are pockets of it happening in communities, in different denominations. And so what we want it to do is snowball because the model and the system, as our dear sis Lauren said, that has got us to where we are today. Not to say that it's a complete failure, but there are definitely flaws in it because, you know, marriage is going to test your maturity. And there are so many immature men who become husbands. And the fruit of that is just seen before us. So I think, yeah, we've definitely got to take the bull, proverbial bull by the horns and and try and turn the tide. Because as Laura said, when you look at Ephesians chapter five, what's each thing is weighty, but what's more weighty, submission or death or giving your life? (laughs) (laughs) What carries more gravitas? Right. And I think you you make a really great point because I think a lot of times when it comes to equality and the submission conversation and, you know, what men are supposed to carry versus what women are supposed to carry, I think the idea of, one, to your point, Timothy, the idea of turning the tide of a patriarchal society is a big feat. You know, and it can start, but it is really, it is a challenge to overturn systems systems that countries were founded on it is right exactly (laughs) it's a challenge but i do think if we as individuals seek like lord like what is your desire for me how do you desire i be formed and go about certain things i think that what holy spirit can reveal can at least do a turn in us but I think that like highlighting that is so important because what it often looks like is if we move away from a patriarchal society to something that looks more godlike, right? It looks as though it's just in the defense of women. But I think the both of you really highlighted something that was so important is that when there is a, an extremity in a society, it doesn't just benefit like the higher party, but they actually end up with a deficit. Because the responsibility is taken away, right, then there are conversations that women have been having much longer than men, right? There's development that women have been experiencing much longer than men. And it seems as it's because women are weaker. 
but that means that the other party then ends up with the deficit, right? And so, like, yes, by all means, we want to be fair to our end of the day. I don't believe that there's any human being on the earth that should not seek wholeness, right? What does it look like for me to be whole despite what society says? I love it. Good stuff. You're teaching good. You're teaching good. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to kind of get to a next part. I think there's many, many flows to this conversation. And of course, we're talking about preparation for marriage. Word on the streets that I hear time and time again that it's rough out there in single land, in dating land. I heard it's pretty pitiful. I heard it's the ghetto. I've heard all kinds of things about it. I don't believe, I know there's some goodness out there. There has to be, right? Keep hope alive, Lord. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. Believe the best. I'm going to ask uh, this question because I know before me, I've got some accomplished young black women here and um, I respect that. I love that. But do you think that educated women intimidate men in relationships and our relationship roles now reversed because of a woman's success in business and career, because you guys are go-getters. I think statistically black women open the most businesses out of any other demographic, small business owners, entrepreneurs. Do you think that's intimidating for guys, for men? I think yes and no. I'll speak for the single women. And I have to say, as much as I say that the dating world right now is ghetto, that there is pee and poo-poo in the dating pool, it's gross out there, right? But I will say it would be remiss for me not to speak up for my male friends who are absolutely upstanding and who have not been intimidated in friendship or relationship by women who are successful. So I will say... While that may be the case in some spaces, specifically looking at the first part of the question, if educated women are intimidating to men, it has not been my personal experience. So I cannot speak for everybody. But that part in particular has not been my personal experience. The latter part of the question, that's that's a little so-so. Okay. I think that educated women are only intimidated to immature men. A real man is seeing beyond the current state, especially if we're looking at preparing for marriage. Okay, so I met my husband freshman year of college. We went to the best school. Other is Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. So we met there. I was a chemical engineering major and he was a business major, right? So of course, the joke was in our preparation stages was, wow, Sierra's going to graduate and make, you know, six figures in you're going to work at Target. Like, I mean, that, it was just the, the joke. But from his perspective, we're about to come together. Right. I'm not intimidated because I'm marrying a brilliant woman. I respect her brilliance. I respect her grind. I respect her hustle. We're going to bring this together and we're going to have literally a fruitful household. So he was mature in the way that he saw my aspirations to be this engineer and to make big money. So I think that the only way he would have been insecure about where our financial standings would have landed us is if he were an immature man and if he wasn't future focused opposed mm-hmm. to just looking at today. Wow. That's smart. smart guy. That's good stuff. I'm pretty much of the same belief. I'm quite idealistic in the sense that, yeah, if you're prepping for marriage and 
your two are becoming one. If your wife excels and succeeds and reaches the height of what she studied for or majored in, that's a win for the family. That's a win for the generations to come. I always say to my wife, keep me. I don't mind being a cook, man. I'll, I'll, I'll clean. I can't cook too good, but I'll clean. I can clean very, very well, very, very deep, you know? <laughs> but saying that, you know, when you get into male spaces, you'll be actually surprised how affected men become because I think, you know, obviously there's innate in us is, I think this desire to be a provider to take care of who the Lord blesses us with. And there are men that have struggled just based on how they've been taught or the general doctrine that's been kind of instilled in us. You know, as men, you go out, you hunt, you take care of your wife, you succeed. There is intimidation there. There are men that struggle to process that potentially their spouse could earn more than them in the relationship. I just thought of something, though, when you were talking. I do recall when the checks started coming in. I did notice, but I do recall my husband being more intentional about creating other streams of income for the house. Okay. So whereas my one position brought in this amount of money and his nine to five brought in this amount of money, he was intentional about getting real estate. He started getting uh, uh, rental properties. He started flipping properties in order to bring in more income so that the playing field was kind of level. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can challenge the man that if this is really a sore spot for you and you are seeming to attract women who are high earners, maybe this could be the motivation for you to explore other ways to bring in income. Just a thought. I also wonder if like provision can be looked at in a different way. Because like when we think about like the second part of that question about role reversal, just in the day and age that we live in, you know, because of how society has played out, women are more career focused. And I don't think it's, I think it's because we have had to be, right? And so uh, thankfully, you know, we find pleasure in it, right? But we've had to become more career focused. And sometimes I wonder for men who struggle with just wanting to be a provider, which I don't think there's anything even wrong with just that desire to want to, you know, provide. But I wonder what it would look like to ask an ambitious woman what provision looks like for her. Because when I think about me, I am not necessarily people often... I grew up uh, definitely in an upper middle class household. I've always been incredibly ambitious. I come from an entrepreneurial family. I have never needed like men outside of my family from a provision aspect, right? I have gotten into literally arguments with someone who like wanted to pay my bills and I was like, I don't need you to pay my bills. Mm. I'm fine, actually, right? And so it has always been like this stigma or this idea that people have had of me that I must want someone who can provide this because I grew up this kind of way or this is the kind of life that I live. Now, I'm not saying that I want a lazy joker. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> but we don't want no, we don't want no scrubs, right? Right, right, yeah. But I do wonder what it would look like to ask an ambitious woman, like, what does provision look like for you? Because to me, what it looks like is safety. 
Like I would not mind being in a scenario where I bring in the highest amount of income to my household because Mm -hmm. this is where I differ from a lot of people. I'm a little bit more old school. I kind of feel like, granted, have my she money, but but it's our money. I might not have she money, but my money's your money. Your money's our money. Everybody doesn't flow that way. That's more so me, right? So Mm -hmm. if I bring money into the household, it's us, right? And um, what I'm really looking for out of like relationship and out of marriage is at the end of the day, I want a soft place to land. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, I want safety. At the end of the day, I want like protection. I want covering it to me. Now, some people equate that to money, but every woman doesn't equate that to money. Right. And so I think even having an understanding as to like how like if there's a woman that you're interested in, like how does she view money? Right. And what importance does it play in a relationship? And is there a provision that she wants from you that is different from, from like her definition of provision might be a little bit different than yours? Yeah, that's definitely good stuff. I think, again, the culture ingrains in men to find worth. Mm-hmm. in their financial and economic status. So I hear what you're saying and it sounds good. And you, come on, this, you know, may not be, but they can provide the love and the care and the security. That's what we want. That's what we need at the end of the day. So I don't know, Timothy, I don't know if you're familiar with the guy, an American guy named Kevin Samuels. This is something that has recently happened in the internet streets. While we're talking about these different perspectives of men and women, Kevin Samuels was a relationship advisor. He recently passed away. Rest in peace. Some people were online and they were celebrating his passing. They were very, they were excited the man died. They was, they was happy he died, right? And it seemed that men and women were divided on if he gave healthy or toxic relationship advice. But I want to know, have we become sensitized to respecting others even if we don't agree with their thoughts that's the first question and then i'll ask the second question but the first question i have is have we become desensitized to respecting others even if we don't agree with their thoughts (laughs) i just think this is just a savage uncultured uncouth generation Mm -hmm. in terms of what we express we're rude ill-mannered, disrespectful, just all the things. All the things. <laughs> some of the, again, some of the things you, you see and you hear, it's like, and even from the body, there's no differentiation between the world and, and the church. It's just people are letting loose. And, mm-hmm. you know, our words are supposed to be seasoned with mm-hmm. grace that it may edify and minister love to the hearers. And I know of Kevin Samuels. I didn't agree with probably 99% (laughs) of what he said, but to, you know, rejoice and celebrate his demise. I think that's a a very dangerous line you're trying to walk. So, but I think it's just, again, a symptom or fruit of what's wrong with this culture and what social media has done is given people a voice before they've reached a level of maturity and grace mm-hmm. to even carry the responsibility of their words. They're just shooting that, that mouth. And I think it's dangerous. And, but we become desensitized. Memes happen. Memes are made. Yeah. Jokes are made. Tweets yeah. go viral. You know, Shade Room, Neighborhood Talk, all those pages, you know, 
the funniest comments on Kevin Samuel's passing. And, you know, there's some clever, witty people out there, you know. Sometimes humour gets a bit dark. I'm not saying it doesn't, but, yeah, I think we got to be careful. Particularly if we say we name Jesus, you know. We've got to be careful about not allowing that to corrupt or, or seep into our heart. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't a consumer of his material. I did watch a couple of the clips that kind of came across my IG feed. But the only thing that I saw, and this listen to my whole statement, I saw his approach as like a shock value mm-hmm. in order, like as you said, to gain attention and followers and just notoriety in the social media YouTube land, right? When I actually listened to what he was saying, though, I pushed aside his disrespectful tone, his body language, the choice of words. Sometimes they were very disrespectful. But when I listened to the overall theme of what he was trying to convey to women, it actually wasn't negative. He was really trying to pull women, like pull their thinking in. It was one in particular where a woman was saying, you know, I live my life. I think she was a stripper. You know, I live my life as a stripper. I did what I wanted to do. Now I'm 31 and I'm ready to settle down. And it's like, okay, so you just think you're going you're gonna to pull the, the highest ranking man and pull him into your house because you're ready to settle down? What have you done to prepare? But it was the way he, the setup for the questions. It, it was just like, yeah, but you're 31. What size do you wear? It was that that made it made everybody like cringe. Like, wait a minute, did he just answer dress size? Did he really just say you're 35 and your eggs are old, so you're not gonna have no babies? Like, it was rude, but it really was. It was checking her mentality. You could really see her kind of like, wait, why do I want to get married? Wait, is my idea of marriage immature and a false narrative? I actually enjoyed it after I got past him. But at the end of the day, he was really trying to help. It was some helpful information laced in between his disrespect. I was one of the the women that couldn't get past him. Stop. Even just hearing the examples made me nauseous. Couldn't quite. I couldn't quite do. Not not celebrate that the man died. No. It's all wherever he is. Yeah. but he was on my list. Absolutely. Your, your prayer list. I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I don't know what, what, what list. Yeah. What list are we referring to? We don't have to work. Okay. We can look past that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but to that point, right? To that point, I want to know why was there a disconnect in men agreeing with his advice and women feeling like his tone and disrespectful? And disrespectful tone was hurtful, right? And more specifically, are men and women like on a different page as it relates to relationship advice and what we feel like is fruitful and helpful versus what we don't? That's a great question. I think, yeah, definitely there was a disconnect. And it's not just Kevin Samuels. I think there has been other movements, you know, that are kind of undercurrent, incel movement. Why I never liked Kevin Samuels and what he said. I'd agree. There's some things that, yeah, that's true. That's right. That's correct. It's like the saying, right? Even a broken clock can be be twice a day, right? Twice (laughs) a day. But I did get a sense that there was a disdain that he had for Black women that I just couldn't I didn't think he liked you. Yeah, he might be trying to help you, but I didn't think he liked you. I didn't think he 
really respected black women other than someone that archetype or the prototype of shape or look or net worth, then, you know, okay, I'm feeling you. But just a regular black woman gone Mm -hmm. through it, children, mother, there was a disdain that he had that I didn't think was healthy and Mm -hmm. was very toxic. But at the same time, his voice and his sentiments are in other spaces in the culture. Even in um, the church, you know, there's been a, a rise of, I think they call it complementarianism, where, you know, women, you have your place and this generation of women are less feminized, becoming more manly, masculine, want to step outside their role of housekeepers, domesticated and so on and so forth. And, you know, when sometimes when you go into these spaces where there's just men talking, you hear that language or certain group chats have been leaked and it's like, oh, you, you guys don't like women. You don't like women. You don't respect women. And then, obviously, when Kevin Samuels passed and it was divided, I see men that were crying, men getting tattoos of Kevin Samuels. He was their savior. He was their, you know, he was their voice. And it was mostly men and just a a smidgen, a smattering of women. So there's definitely a difference in how people perceived and received his information. Yeah. Why do you feel like we hear things two different ways though, right? Because like when you talk about Kevin Samuels being the voice for this large demographic of men, it seems like they probably really enjoyed it from top to bottom because he was saying things that they really wanted to say, but either like really just didn't have the space or the platform to say it. I want to know, like, what causes us to hear almost with, like, two different ears, right? Because at the end of the day, we're getting advice to be in relationship with one another. How we hear it, what it said, is often completely opposite. So, like, what causes that divide? Like, why do we hear two different things? Like, why does it seem like we're not on the same page as it relates to, like, what is healthy relationship advice? I think it's just based on our makeup. It's our genetic makeup. How a woman hears and how a man hears is completely different, I think. How a woman speaks and how a man speaks, how we communicate, we just have differences. I don't think it's a a flaw. I think it's our genetic makeup. It's how the Lord made us. But I think we have to be intentional about learning one another, learning how a woman communicates. If you want to be in a relationship with one, then it's it's best (laughs) to learn when she says this. Even though she's saying one thing, this might be what she really means. Learn how to read her facial expressions. Learn what the slouch in her in her shoulders mean. Learn what the crease in her smile, you know? So it takes intentionality. I keep using that word to learn how one another communicate. As a wife, I had to learn how my husband communicates. I had to learn how to interpret his silence when he's not saying anything. He can walk in the room right now and I can tell you what's on his mind because we've been together that long and I've studied him. Yeah, It's a choice, but it's something that we have to do. I don't think it's, a, like I said, a negative thing. It's just the way we're made. So how we hear one another is going to be different. It'll be different, yeah. right? That makes so much sense. Yeah. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge, I guess. That's what the Bible says. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. You, yeah. you have to but this whole conversation is boiling down to just read the Bible. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> just, just learn the word. 
<laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, good, great, great, great points there. I love it. I love it. All right. So let's throw some spice into this. Uh, it has been spice, but let's throw some spice. Let's All talk right. about song. Let's talk about. So why don't we talk about sex in a healthy manner in Christian communities? Because <laughs> the church mother is saying, it's a sex is sex is sin. It's a sex is sin. Sex is sin. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you better be in the right community. We talk healthily about sex in the Christian church. Yes. You think we do? There are communities that do. Right. Okay. But like on a general, on a like a gen- general. Not well. We have developed groups that'll talk about it. I don't hear okay. it coming across a pulpit because it might not be the appropriate time to talk about it across a pulpit, but there are little sex sectors that are developed where that is a part of conversation. You just got to be in the right community. I think you hit it there, though, being a part of the right community. Most communities are not the right community in the education culture to talk about sex. <laughs> Most of them, you don't do it, close your leg, sex right. is bad, don't have sex if you're married. And then nobody knows what to do. Or There was a thread. Do you know there was a thread that went viral? Sorry to interrupt you, but there was a thread that went viral about different groups, particularly like Mormons, whether you want to consider them Christians or not. But there were other different groups in terms of evangelicals where for the longest time, couples had been having what they thought was sex, but using the belly button. And that belly buttons were getting infected and sore. <laughs> I'm serious. They didn't know Gotta where to put it. The woman was too stunned to speak. Oh my gosh. It went viral like a couple of weeks ago. Case after case after case, because someone said, I don't believe this is actually a thing. That's wild. Yeah. That is, that is. And I don't know, maybe that's a part of belly the conversation in terms of. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't have it. Close your legs. Uh, so your pants. Were they doing it in the belly button in order to say that they were still a virgin? Like, are these pre-married they, people? They were married. This was married. Not so no poking belly buttons in marriage. Poking, poking belly buttons. Not in the wedded bed. <laughs> in the marital bed. Right. The undefiled oh, bed. First of all, poor women. I don't know. <laughs> Right. If you don't get off my belly, what are you doing? No, sir. I was struggling to fathom it. Everyone was, but there was case after case after case. I, think, I thought that was wild. That's absolutely easy. But I mean, I think it goes back to, you know, why we don't talk about. And to your point, see, I do think that, like, in uh, 2022, it's getting, like, a tiny, teeny, 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 tiny little bit this much better but i think that it kind of even goes back to the fact that like humans are graceless right we don't operate in the spirit of grace naturally right and so there's often like we operate in extremes so either like you do something you absolutely don't do it versus really teaching about like what sex is that it's creation it's something that he created for our pleasure, for our fruitfulness. We are sexual beings. So I think even the way that we teach about like sexual urges has to change, right? Like of course there are guardrails, right? But like 
to be a human being and have a sexual urge is not a sin because you are a sexual being. You're not going to do it, right? Right? And so I feel like because we operate in these extremes, and I don't think the intention was bad. I think the intention was the things we wanted to prevent, whether soul ties, whether it was children being produced in relationships that were not ready for children or people avoiding the sanctity of marriage and just all of the benefits that happen when sex happens or in the marriage bed, right? But I think sometimes impact can supersede intention, right? Like we have great intentions when we're explaining these things, but we end up doing ourselves a disservice. And I think because the world has even sexualized sex, you guys get where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the world has made it such this scandalous thing. The way that the church looks at it is only scandal, right? But we cannot say that we were all produced out of scandalous nature, right? We can't say that intimacy between men and women, if we're a reflection of God and God created intimacy, then we can't say that that type of intimacy between a man and a woman is, is scandalous, Right. So there's got to be an avenue of truth. And if children specifically are introduced to all of these things and, you know, they have the mental capacity to understand so many different concepts, then we have to trust that they also have the mental capacity to understand sex in a healthy way. But I, I think also a lot of our sexual education in the church is the result of generational ignorance. Mm-hmm. Wow. We're, or we're not taught something and we pass that on to yeah. our children, right? And we forget how messed up it made us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same thing repeated for Yes, we perpetuated for our kids and it's really, it's not fair. At some point we have to realize this kind of messed me up a little bit. This like, this cannot be true. Right. Can we so, talk about that though? How the lack of talking about sex really does mess up people even when they get married it causes you to have sex really but yeah i mean you you don't know where to put it i mean we're not talking (laughs) what to do (laughs) i mean like but being like really being serious all we were taught like lauren said was don't do it keep your legs closed lock it down clink clink right right but now i'm married and i'm expected to just flip a switch and be a freak for my husband wait (laughs) all i know is lock it down clink clink and he's saying, well, wait, baby, I, I gave you my name. <laughs> you go, give me these goodies. My goodies, not my goodies. So, but, but now I don't know what to do. Yes. Wow. And now I don't have anyone to talk to. So I'm isolated. And now I'm married. I'm taking on a, a new identity as a wife, as a lover, and I'm lost. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's mm-hmm. a whole generation of women who literally despise sex. Yeah. Because we were not taught. Right. And I think uh, that's supposed to be beautiful. We hate. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously in terms of, you know, purity culture and preparation for marriage, that was the kind of the reflection of teaching purity culture, you know, the worship of uh, virginity, which is why I I believe the Bible teaches boundaries, but you don't worship your virginity and and the loss of your virginity doesn't make you any less image bearer or or having value with God, uh, yet, you know, when you demonize someone for that particular action or that particular sin, then, you know, it's hard to shake it off and suddenly that action become righteous Mm -hmm. under 
the remit of marriage. And so I think there's there's so many horror stories about, and you know, the belly button thing is one, but there were others that were just talking about were being open and sharing about how they're they're married and their sex lives are just it's just not trash. connecting because they're having to unlearn yeah trash having uh-huh. to unlearn never orgasm and having to unlearn and ask the lord to help and heal and uproot yeah. what they've connected with this this beautiful thing that the lord made for humanity yeah. the nail on the head i've seen I've seen women, friends of mine, who got married and they kept their virginity up to marriage and would be like, it was the worst decision I could have made because uh, this is their their perspective. They feel like it was the worst decision they could have made because now they're with their husband and they feel like they're in sin. Yes. Wow. But they're not because they've been told all this time it's a sense so now I'm 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. And all of these years I've been taught this is sin. And now because of, of one ceremony, all of a sudden it's not sin anymore. Right. So I think it causes, like you said, it really causes like a warping, a warping of the mind. And I think you also taught on something or you touched on something that was really important, this idea of like worship being virginity. I don't know if you guys have seen like this conference that's happening. It makes me, oh, it makes me cringe. It's for little girls, 12 to 17, and it's called Girl, Keep Your Legs Closed. It's like a conference tour. Wow. Girl, yes. I don't mean to call you girl, it's just my expression. Um, (laughs) Girl, keep your legs closed. And they're required to go through these, these settings, like $150 a person. They're supposed to go through these sessions to uh, teach them purity. And there's like a daughter specialist. I don't even know what qualifies you to be that. But there's a fatherless daughter session specialist, uh, and every girl has to go through their session. And then there's like a purity ceremony at the end. I think things like really disgusting because what what ends up happening with such an unhealthy emphasis on things like purity culture and virginity with women, it ends up perpetuating rape culture. Which you have to be really, really careful about because, again, it's putting all of the onus onto women and it ends up making them more vulnerable. Yeah. Right? Uh, instead of teaching this healthy balance, kind of like what we were talking about before, but this healthy balance and creating a culture where both young men and young women are home, it perpetuates this, this idea of rape culture because it causes women to become more vulnerable or uh, to despise themselves in certain ways. And also you think about just the way that we are, we are wired, right? It's gonna do one of two things. Either I'm gonna have an unhealthy view of my body and of sex, and I'm gonna over-police myself, right? And end up with a religious view of how God views my body. And I think this is the reason why it makes me sick because there is nothing wrong with a woman's body. Especially, especially with black girls, grew up in a society that sexualizes black bodies, especially black women in particular. Wow. Right? But there's nothing sinful about a woman's body. But we, we are in a culture uh, that often says it is. And so uh, the way that we perceive other people to think about us is often the way that we perceive God thinks about us as well. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, 
causes a woman to despise her body and not only despise her body just naturally, uh, but to feel shame even in the way that God looks at her, in the way that God looks at her body, right? So either I grew up with this religious mindset where I'm constantly policing myself and I feel this way even in the way that we approach the modesty conversation. I know we're not going to get into that, but it's just things that we have to be careful about, right? So either I'm going to do that or it's going to cause me to do the complete opposite, right? And place myself in situations or become more susceptible to men or other people that really just do not have my best interest in mind. It either does one or the other. And it just becomes really it just becomes really, really unhealthy. And like you said, then we have to spend years and years as an adult on learning these things and realizing that we were never taught the truth to begin with. But one one thing that I feel like I have to mention as far as perpetuating rape culture is what happens is if a woman is ever in a situation where she is taken advantage of, then she begins to believe that it was my fault because I was supposed to be the keeper of my purity. Wow. Wow. Now that's that's crazy, and, and especially in light of some of the recent developments, so recent Baptist about the BAP report about the Baptist Church and covered up sexual abuse and things of that nature. And wow. uh, so a clip just went viral uh, a couple of days ago uh, about a young girl that was literally raped, I guess, at sixteen, and you know the pastor, and you know th- I think. She's now 33 in her 30s and she's finally found her voice to say what it was. And and I think, yeah, it's, it's just the fruit of that because she says she's so confused and it's affected her marriage and so on and so forth. And I don't think, you know, men come off unscathed by it as well. You know, purity culture and it affects us in a different way. I think it hypersexualizes Christian men, you know, even in terms of their desires and their lusts and then also absconds them from the, the responsibility that they should have to bring their desires to God and, and have him help them walk through it. If we were to say, okay, we're the church, we're the body, we're, you know, how do we fix this? How, what should we be doing right now? What are some of the things we should be doing right now in terms of sex and sexual education in the church that can kind of realign and reverse and heal some of this this foolishness and toxicity of the past. I would want the church to be as intentional as the world is in teaching our children about sex. The world is teaching them through YouTube, Mm. cartoons. They have classes in school. My daughter's in the fourth grade and they just went through family life and they're talking about, you know, puberty and body and stuff like that. So it's like, wait a minute, I can't let them talk about it before I talk about it. So let me beat them to the punch. So it made me more conscious of, wait a minute, Sierra, the world is trying to groom your daughter. You better catch her first. Um, So I think that that needs to be the perspective that the church takes. We have to catch our children first. We have to teach our children first. Let's invest first. Let's be honest. Let's teach the Bible, but let's teach what it really says and not just what was passed down to us. Because <laughs> yeah. sometimes the two are not the same. Not the same. <laughs> it's so true. And I think to that point, it really goes back to, especially when we look at like generations who it's just like, you know, that you were, you were taught what someone told you and you're not even sure if it was correct. I think that 
we often overlook the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. You can be taught something for generations, but you ask Holy Spirit, what, what is the truth about this? And it can be, you can receive a completely new revelation. And so I think sometimes like when we think about, I, I agree with Sierra that the church should have a better hand in teaching about sex. But I think the church also has to acknowledge I may not have the right view about sex, right? Mm. I may not I may not have the knowledge or the understanding or be in the space to helpfully teach this, right? So like being willing to say what I was taught was not correct and be willing to kind of break down those walls and figure out, and I don't, I don't even want to say figure out, but research and pray on what the right perspective of sex is. I think heal people, heal people. So I think that the generations who are teaching, they need to get the healing first so that when they're teaching, they, they know that they're teaching the right things. So I think it starts there and admit it's, this hasn't been, it has not been right, but I am, I'm going to seek Holy Spirit for the right revelation. I'm going to seek him for what to do and then go from there. Then we go from there. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I think that's something we can definitely work with. Yeah. 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 This has been great, guys. This has been amazing. This is a lot. It's a lot to eat. You got to listen to this one at least four times. We got to break it up. <laughs> this was really, really good. It was an honor talking to you guys today. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. to those who are listening, thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on social media. Leave a rating or a review. It is much appreciated. Seated with Strangers is a full experience podcast. So check out the show notes for more ways to engage with us. We'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks for having us. <laughs>